Hi, this is a production of Community Covenant Church in Eagle River, Alaska, where our mission is to bring Christ's hope, healing, and wholeness to our community and to our world. Our service times are 9 and 11 each Sunday morning. Find out more at www.communitycovenant.net. Well, it is so good to see you all this morning, and uh, we are fresh now into, well, the fall, and we are starting a new fall sermon series called uh, The Perfect Body, um, Life Together with Christ in the Center. And uh, for the next several weeks, we're going to be looking at what it means to be a part of the body of Christ and uh, how the Lord is at work in and through his body to transform us and to transform the world. Uh, I want to begin, some of you have freshly come off of summer vacation, and I don't know about you, but um, there are some summer vacations that are more memorable than others. And uh, for me, as I look back, the ones that are the most memorable um, often are the ones that didn't go quite the way we had planned. And at the time, they seemed challenging, uh, but there's definitely a story. And there's a story that is carried on through family, and kids remember with their parents, and then grandkids remember with their parents and their grandparents. Do you remember the vacation when? How many of you ever had some of those vacations? Okay, you know what I'm talking about, don't you? Yeah. Well, when Lori and I were first married, we used to travel pretty extensively uh, through the southwest United States. It was easy to travel from Los Angeles uh, to Arizona or to Utah. If we really felt like we were really wanted to stretch things, we'd go to New Mexico uh, once there was a foray into Colorado. But the reason we did it uh, was because we could camp. Uh, camping was inexpensive. We would uh, plan out, you know, several days of camping. Then one night in the least expensive hotel or motel we could find. In fact, <clears throat> there was one so bad that we paid for it, and then we were embarrassed to say that we didn't want it. And so uh, we just put our stuff in there and went and stayed in our tent anyway. I mean, that's yeah. I mean, that's that's a memory, right? Um, I'll tell you about that sometime, where not to go. But anyway, so we would do that, and then we'd clean up, and then we'd camp all over again. And that's how, on a, on a pretty small budget, we'd have our vacations. Well, one vacation we were really going to splurge, it was to the north rim of the Grand Canyon. And how many of you have ever been on the mule ride on the north rim of the Grand Canyon? You've never been on the mule ride on the north rim of the Grand Canyon. Well, that is an experience that you have to have, Cindy. Yeah. Uh, So we had signed up for it uh, months in advance. We were looking forward to it. Uh, And then I was reminded that there was a weight limit, that you, you had to be a certain weight in order to ride the mules all the way down to the bottom of the canyon and all the way back up. And I believe at that time the weight limit um, was about 210 pounds. And a uh, strapping young man that I was uh, had put on um, <clears throat> some LBs and, and knew that if I wanted to ride those mules, if 
I wanted to um, just live into this experience that we had talked about for months, I had to be fit, I had to be in shape, right? I had to be with it because they actually have a big scale right outside the dining hall, right? Like that's incentive. And then you step on the scale and they determine whether or not um, you can ride the mules. So about a month out, uh, I started what Lori and I now call my mule diet. And it was just like oats and grains and nothing very exciting, lots of vegetables. Uh, and I was trying to get down to that 210-pound plane weight for the mule ride. Well, we got to the, the lodge there, and I remember it was the night before, and uh, they had a steak special with all the willpower that I had. I had a salad. And I skipped the bread, okay? And afterwards, we walked over to the counter with this guy dressed in an old prospector outfit. Walked up to him, said, Macaro, party of two. Tomorrow morning, we're set for the mule ride. Uh, and uh, I'm ready to step on the scale, right? I feel like a prize fighter like getting ready to weigh in, Okay. And he looked at me and he said, okay, hand me a little thing and said, uh, be at the, the corral like at 8 o'clock in the morning. And I looked at him. I said, what? what? Aren't you going to weigh me? And he goes, no, I know how much you weigh. I go, you do? He goes, yeah, you weigh uh, 208 pounds. I go, you sure of that? Like, I just said, great, there it was, I got my pass. But, you know, I was so determined to make the weight, I wanted to prove that I had made the weight. And he said, well, if you want to, go ahead and you can step on the scale. And I said, okay. I go, do I take my shoes off? He goes, are you going to ride the mule barefoot? <laughs> I said, no. And I, I, I stepped on the scale and I weighed in right at about 208 pounds. Amazing. Now, that's what he did all day long. So he could look at people, he can kind of guess what they weighed. You see, what I was trying to work for was that, that perfect weight so that I could ride the mules down to the bottom of the canyon and back up. And we did that, and it was a great experience. By the way, Cindy, if you're afraid of heights, it's not for you. Okay, yeah, it is not for you. There are times that mule takes that little turn, and he goes all the way out over the edge, his head's over the edge, and he swings back, and you're literally swinging over the edge with that mule, right? I mean, it is death-defined. You understand that, don't you? Okay? And I asked him, I asked actually the guide, I said, is there ever such thing as a bad mule day? And he says, yes, but only once. Well, yeah, that's pretty bad. Well, the next year was Bryce Canyon, the Peekaboo Trail. Anybody ever done that? Way in for that is 200 pounds. And so the next year came, and I was working to make the, the weight of 200 pounds. And you know what? I did, and we had a great time. <laughs> I could never do that again. But we had a great time uh, on the Peekaboo Trail at Bryce Canyon. But I remember back in those years when we were planning for vacation, it just seems like no matter how hard I tried, no matter how much weight I lost, it, it wasn't enough 
You know, we, we made the wait for the mules, but the next year I had to make the wait for the horses uh, to go down to the Peekaboo Trail, and so on and so forth. Uh, and you know, when I think about that, I think about how my experience in the church uh, has mirrored that. Let me explain what I mean. Um, for me, when I first became a Christian, I heard um, the words from Scripture that you're saved by grace through faith, not of yourself, that no one can boast. And I heard the message that, that grace is that free gift from God, right? You can't earn it. You don't deserve it. Uh, it's something he does because he loves you. It's unconditional. But then after you hear that message and, and you're welcome into the, the family of God, then all of a sudden someone sits you down and says, Now, now that you're a Christian, you have to do this, 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 you have to do this. I'll say, well, wait a minute. What about grace? What about God's unmerited favor? All of a sudden I'm welcome into the family of God and I, I feel as if somehow I have to earn what you just told me God has given to me, not on the basis of merit, deserving it, but basis of his love. And that really kind of tweaked me. Any of you ever had that experience at all? Or is that just me? Now, I'll tell you why that tweaked me. Because when I was new in the Christian faith and in the church, I looked around, I looked out at, at, at all the people around me, and I, I began to say, wow, they must have it all together. Uh, this must be uh, the gathering of, like, the true saints, the real sanctified ones, uh, the ones who uh, really reflect um, the perfection of, of Christ. And I began to wonder in all of that, was there a place for a person broken, struggling, desperately in need of Christ's hope, healing, and wholeness like me? Or was I in a place where, where, where that was the reality for everybody else, but, but not for me? And uh, I began to think that being a Christian meant memorizing Scripture, and every time you talked to the pastor, you quoted a Bible verse to, to show him, you know, how well you're doing with your memory verses. Uh, or something like that. And I have to admit, I, I came to faith in Christ with a, with a predisposition. Uh, I had grown up in uh, three broken homes. Okay, The residue of three broken homes. There was abuse. There was alcoholism. There were all these things. And I grew up thinking okay, that if I just did everything right... If I did everything perfectly, then I'd be lovable. Uh, if I was just perfect and never made a mistake, I'd never receive my stepfather's rage. You see that? It's kind of broken thinking, but that's how you think when you're a kid sometimes. It's just you want to survive, and so you think it's all about you, and obviously you're doing something wrong, and that's why things are, are, are wrong around you. Now, it had nothing to do with me. I understand that now. But as a, as a child, you think, well, what's wrong with me? 
this person has a problem, it must be my fault. So I have to do better so they can be better. Okay? Now, that's kind of how I grew up. So growing up that way, uh, I brought that into all different walks of life, to sports, to relationships. I just wanted to do everything just right. And pretty soon for me, my understanding of love and even God's love, despite what the scripture says, was it was very conditional. It was predicated upon my ability to live into and live up to um, the best of what God intends for us. That somehow in my own strength and my own brokenness, I could do that. And I tried and I tried and I tried and I tried to the place where I got to a place where I thought, well, maybe the church isn't for me. Maybe there's not a place for me in the church. Because I don't think I could ever measure up. I don't think I can ever be good enough. I don't think I can ever meet the standards that, that, I, that I see here. And, and uh, it was really, really hard. And there were a couple times where I said, you know, um, maybe I just don't belong in the church because I'm too broken and I can't be good enough. Now, how, no matter how much I try, I can't lose the weight of my sin, right? And show up on Sunday morning and have somebody say, oh, yeah, you're okay. I can look at you. I can tell. You see that? Have any of you ever felt that? We well, don't have to raise your hand. That's the way I felt. That's the way I felt. In fact, I felt that, that my story, the things I experienced, that there wasn't a place for it in the church. Because all you all have it all together and all your lives were perfect, but not mine. That's how I came into the faith. Now, I've come to find that's wrong. Right? And I remember when I was back in seminary, when you actually had class with students around you and you read books that you could hold, right? And everything's online and you read stuff electronically. I remember reading this book by Diedrich Bonhoeffer called Life Together. And it's uh, a discussion of Christian fellowship. And you can tell this is a very old book. In fact, look at the pages. It's yellow. Look at that. That tells you how long ago I was in seminary, okay? And uh, I put it on the shelf, and I, I really haven't read it for over three decades. And then I picked it up this summer, and I decided I was going to read it again. And I don't know why it got by me the first time, but I caught it the second time. You know, good books are like that, aren't they? There's always something that engages you and helps you. And he talks about, in this book, what it means to share life together as a community of faith with Christ in the center, the community of the redeemed, okay? And, and what is that really all about? And, and it really was written uh, with a group of seminarians in mind. Um, there was a confessing church in Germany during the Nazi reign, and, and Bonhoeffer had gathered a group of these students and uh, was leading this underground seminary that was forbidden by the Nazi party. And in that, as he wrote this book and as he shared with those students, um, he, he tried to encapsulate the essence of what it means to live life together 
uh, with Christ in the center. And as I read this, there's a chapter in which he talks about how there's the ideal Christian fellowship. There's the ideal church. And the ideal church is uh, the church where we work hard to make it just right. It's kind of like the, the perfect church. You know, everybody gets along. There's an absence of conflict. Uh, we're, we're reading scripture together. We're growing together. And we're just one big happy family. And we put all of our energy and all of our efforts into producing this um, expression of Christ's body. And you know what Bonhoeffer says? He said, that's a false ideal. That that is something that we, in our own effort and our own strength, try to produce so that we can say, hey, look at us, right? Look at Christ. Isn't this great? And he said, that's not God's design or intention for the church. For Christ's body. In fact, he says, and I'm going to paraphrase, he goes on to say that the church is really full of flawed people. And that it's in our flaws, it's, it's, it's in our struggles, it's in our brokenness, it's in the places where we're reaching out for Christ's hope and His healing and His wholeness, that in that broken collection of, of, of people and all their brokenness and all their messiness and, and, and anything other than the ideal, it's there that God really intends for us To begin to enter into and experience the fullness of God's grace and all that it means because as a broken people, as a people who come together in the body of Christ, uh, we're broken and imperfect, but we have a perfect Lord and he meets us there. And it's in that brokenness and in the imperfections. It's, it's in the places that we'd rather not be or the things that we, we would try to ignore or move beyond. It's in those places that we're really in most need for grace. And that that's where I'm called to give grace, extend grace to you. And that's where you're called to extend grace to me. And as we become dispensers of the grace that we have received then we begin to take on this beautiful appearance of the perfect body. Isn't that ironic? That it's in our imperfection, in our imperfections, where we experience our our need for the grace of God. And as we extend that to one another, as we are a community of grace, okay, then we begin to take on that picture of the body of Christ as it's intended to be. We see this in Scripture. I want to read for you today from Ephesians 4, 1 through 3. We'll start out our series here. It's good news for those of you that thought in order to come to church, you had to have it all together. Amen? 
Paul writes, now, in the first three chapters of the book of Ephesians, Paul is is discussing the theology of salvation, of what it means um, to be called by God, what it, what it means to be a, a person and a people called by God. And as he discusses the theology of all of that, it's good stuff, he, he gets to chapter 4, and then it is the practical living into, working out of all that means. In other words, the first three chapters is, hey, this is what Christ has done. This is who you are. And he lays down all the theological foundation for it. Chapters 1 through 3. But he gets into chapter 4, and he says, in light of that, I want to encourage you to live into, to walk into all that that means. All that that means. And so he starts out by saying, in verse 1 of chapter 4, As a prisoner for the Lord then... Now, you know, this is one of his prison epistles. He he wrote this letter along with some others when he was under house arrest. And he was literally, if you will, a prisoner for the Lord and a prisoner in the Lord. And as he begins now to, to explain to the Ephesians... In light of all these theological truths, this is what it means to live into them. This is is how you apply this to your daily life. As he does that, he says, I'm a prisoner for the Lord. In fact, it's it's the fact that he chose to live into those truths, to engage those truths, that he is a prisoner. So in this case, being a prisoner of the Lord is a badge of honor. I'm here because of this that I'm sharing with you. And I want you to know it. So in a sense, you can become his prisoner also. So as a prisoner for the Lord then, I urge you, now in the NIV it says, to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. But in many other translations, perhaps that you're familiar with, it says this, I urge you to walk in a manner, to walk in a manner, Worthy of the calling you have received. In other words, walk in a manner that is worthy of the high calling that you've received in Christ Jesus. Walk in a manner that reflects the salvation, all the theological truths about who you are, about who Christ is, about what that means. Live into that fully as God intends for you to do. That's what he's saying here. Okay? Live into that fully. Walk in a manner. Now, catch this. If you read this the way I've read it for years, I just read it, it says, Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Aren't those nice, sweet, good things? Right? Sound, I mean, just, hey, yeah, do those things. That's, that's good to do those things. But here's the question. Why are those things there? Why is there a need for those things? Why is it that he says, be completely humble and gentle? Why is it that he says, be patient, bearing with one another in love? Why? Is it because in the body of Christ we have it all together? What I I need to do those things practically 
would I need to do those things practically if it weren't for the fact that we need to be humble? To live in the body of Christ is to humble yourself. Because we live together as broken people. We live together as people who have been redeemed, but God is still at work at conforming us to the image of Christ. But in that process, in the body of Christ, as he conforms us, we need to humble ourselves. In fact, Paul writes to the Philippians in chapter 2, consider others more important than yourselves. Be patient. Be patient. Now, why would I need patience? Why would you need patience? Because the person to your right or left is driving you crazy. Just admit it. That's life in the body of Christ. That's life in a family, isn't it? Huh? Thanksgiving's coming. You know what I'm talking about. You know, there's Uncle Bob or Aunt Mary or there's somebody in the family that you're going to have to exercise patience, that that your mother or your sister or brother is going to say, now, come on, Todd, come on, Jen, come on, Carolyn. It's just one day a year. You can do it, right? And this person just pushes you over. And the first thing that they, they do when they come in is they want to talk about politics or they want to, you know. All right. Body of Christ is the same way. Why do we need patience? Because there are people that try our patience in the body of Christ. It's not as perfect as I thought it was supposed to be. Because I had a very unrealistic understanding of it. And then it says this. Bearing with one another in love. Now, I've preached on this passage as a part of a, a greater uh, examination of this, this chapter before. You remember what bearing with one another in love means literally in, in the Greek, in the original language that the Bible's written? And you know what it means? Put up with one another. Now, if the body of Christ were as perfect as I thought it was, or I was led to believe it should be, <clears throat> Why would we have to put up with one another? Right? In other words, this is a family. And it's interesting. The body of Christ being the family of God, you can't choose the family you were born into. Can you? In fact, they say you can't choose your family, you can choose your friends. You cannot choose the family you're born into. That is also true. That's also true with the body of Christ. You can't choose. You have been called, we have been called by God into this family known as the body. And the perfect body isn't the perfection that we strive for in our own strength, what we think the church should be. The perfect body is really a group of imperfect people with a perfect Lord, dependent upon his strength and and his power to live into all that he calls us to do and to be. Uh, And that we're to bear with one another. 
we're to put up with one another. Because we can't choose whether or not we're going to be a member of the body. We are, by virtue of what Christ has done. But here's the question. You can choose whether or not you're going to engage. You can choose whether or not, with God's strength and the power of the Spirit that unifies us, whether or not you're willing to humble yourself. Whether or not you're going to be gentle towards one another. Patient. And yes, even putting up with one another in love. Not necessarily because you feel like it, but because it's what God has done in Christ for you. And in His strength, you in turn do the same for others. It means not getting up, going out the door, getting in your car, and going to another church when someone upsets you or things don't go your way in church. It means sticking it out with the family that God's called you to, the greater body that you're a part of, but it's expression here at Community Covenant Church. It means if you really want to be like Jesus, stick it out. You'll have plenty of opportunity. And by the way, if you get in the car and you drive down the road to another church, and you think it's the perfect church, it won't be for long because you'll be there. Okay? Just like this isn't the perfect church because I'm here. Got it? And so, I want to stop here. And I want to give you, just as an introduction to where we're headed. As we think through this section of scripture, and then we end in, in, in chapter, verse 3, it says, Make every effort, every effort, to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. The bond of peace, by the way, is love. And we're making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace, which is love. By the way, do you notice it says, it doesn't say make every effort to be unified. Why is that? Because unity is something that the Spirit has already given us. We can't create it. We can only preserve it. Do you see that? It isn't something we create in our own effort. The unity of the Spirit comes from the Spirit, unifying us as members of Christ's body. We, we can't, in our own efforts, be unified. There is already an essential unity that we are a part of. We choose to engage that, and we choose to, to preserve it. But as you look at this, walking in a manner worthy of your calling that you've received being completely humble and gentle, being patient, putting up with one another in love, and making every effort to keep, to preserve the unity which 
the Spirit of God gives to us through the love of Christ, which is the bond. It is the thing, the glue that connects us. And that bond is like a chain, like handcuffs, right? That we are literally connected to one another in that way. That's the bond of peace. That's the love. The love connects us that way and unifies us. As we look through each of these, and we're going to discuss these and look at them in more detail, what we're going to find is that we need to be jaywalking. Okay? Jaywalking means just walking like Jesus walked. That's the invitation. Okay? To walk like Jesus walked. And what we're really called to do is to trust the Holy Spirit in giving us the desire and the ability to do that. That, That's called sanctification. And in our sanctification, we're being made more and more and more and more conform more and more to the image of Christ Jesus. Okay? It's his work. In us, because he who began a good work in you, us, will bring that to completion. So this morning, as the worship team comes up, and we continue in worship, can we, come on up worship team, can we once again acknowledge that the perfect body, the body of Christ, is made up of people who are broken, in need of healing and hope, people who positionally have been made perfect by virtue of what Christ has done, yet a group of people who are called to fully live into and allow the Spirit of God to continue to transform them more and more and more into the image of Christ, our Savior. It's in doing that that we'll be jaywalking. Walking like Jesus. Following Him into the fullness of all that He's called us to as members of His body. I hope you're excited where we're going. This is going to be really, really good stuff, especially for people like me. It's Christ in me, not my own effort. That's the hope of glory. And the same is true for each and every one of us. Amen.